Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 3 of YXC Underground, and welcome to Saskatoon's YWCA. Thank you. You're welcome. So right now we're just entering into the crisis shelter. Um, this is where we have 18 rooms. Um, there's 34 spaces. I'm on a so tour of the YWCA rooms, with Kim Fisher. Spaces. For more than 20 years, Kim has worked at the Y, helping women and their families receive the supports they need and doing it with kindness and compassion. So this is a nice space for kids to be able to play together. Mom can see them. She has a visual there with a window, so she can be cooking while they're playing in the playroom. And then we have the play deck as well for them to be able to play out there together. It must be nice to have a space for the children here. It is, yeah. And, and because we do house children, it's nice to be able to have a space where they can go and they can be um, entertained while mom's busy doing what she needs to do. This is also where when we do have our ECE students, um, this is where they do their practicum. So they'll, they'll do a whole program of a structured program of play, um, breaks, nutrition, and all those things, which is really nice for the moms to be able to have that break. Yeah. The YWCA is many things to many people in our community. There is an employment and learning center that helps people learn the skills to reach their employment goals. The Childhood Development Center provides daycare to kids from across Saskatoon. And of course, there is the gym that many years ago I frequented when I was a university student living a block away from the Y. For this episode, we are going to focus on the YWCA's emergency crisis shelter, the long-term residence, and the programming it provides to women and their families in need of help. Kim Fisher is the Director of Residential Programs at the YWCA and is a very busy person. She oversees several different support programs, which she talks about in this episode, and has been helping with the organization's efforts to expand their capacity through their Hope Lives Here campaign. The need for safe housing is high. In 2022, the YWCA Crisis Shelter and Residence turned away more than 4,000 women youth and children looking for a safe place to stay in our community. Kim shares the wonderful news of the campaign success and the expansion happening right now at the YWCA in her conversation. She also explains why it takes so much courage for women to seek out the help and services offered at the YWCA and why this work means so much to her. I sat down with Kim in her office after the lovely tour and started our conversation by asking how people end up at the emergency crisis shelter. The thing that I, I appreciate about the YWCA is that they don't have to fit, um, when someone is in need of, of housing, they don't have to fit in a box. They can basically, if they need a place to lay their head down at night and they don't have a roof over their head, they can stay with us. So that means that we are seeing everybody from all walks of life. Um, we do have the ability to house women with their children, and we house lots of single women as well. Um, and we're seeing them come from situations of homelessness and poverty, um, transiency, um, lots of women who are leaving domestic violence situations or other types of violence in, in their homes or communities. Um, we're seeing women who are struggling in their mental health and just need to find that stability, and as well, women who are struggling with addiction. And again, looking for a place that's safe and um, where they can start to work through their own journey. When they when they start their journey here, um, what what are the what are the first conversations like with people? And, and, I, and maybe who are they who are they talking to here at the YW? 
So when they're coming in, it's a first come first serve. Uh, so a lot of women are, are calling and they could be calling every day, several times a day. Our beds are always full. Um, so it is a matter of just the right timing. Um, we don't keep a wait list. Um, but when, they're, when they do get a bed and they're coming in, they're speaking with the crisis counselors. We have 24 seven crisis counselor support um, and they're doing an intake when they first come. And that's just an opportunity for us to get to know who they are, what the situation is, um, and really how we can assist them in their 30-day stay. Um, it is very much client-driven, and it is up to them and what they want in that 30-day stay. So sometimes it's just about a safe place. It's just about getting off the street. It's um, just about keeping themselves safe for, for 30 days or a couple of weeks, whatever they're needing. For other women, it's about leaving a, an unsafe situation and really trying to get on their feet and trying to move on and, and securing housing elsewhere. Um, it could be here in the city, it could be out of province. Um, so we'll do lots of referrals for, for different agencies and different shelters. Um, but they are speaking with the crisis counselors throughout their stay. And, um, and we really try to not overwhelm them with a lot of information at once. So sometimes that intake is really just about an introduction. And then, and it depends too, because we're open 24 seven, they may be coming in the middle of the night. So we're not gonna get into all of that at that time, um, but we'll get to know them as the days progress. I, I was curious about that because, um, yeah, like you said, if they're coming in, in the middle of the night, there must be so much going through their minds that maybe that's not the best time to go through a whole bunch of questions or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And it, and also if they have children, right? So sometimes there's fear for the children and where they're going. And so mom needs to focus on that. And, and we want to give her that space and time to do that. Yeah. Your counselors must be so skilled because they must see so many people from like, all sorts of backgrounds and, and scenarios. Yes, that um, they definitely deal with a lot of different situations. We, we know when they come on shift that you can't predict what your shift is going to look like. That's, we have two shifts, a day shift and a night shift, and they can be very different. Um, they can be very busy, and, and that's um, they are expected to respond to the situations as they arise, and you, you never know what that's going to be. Sometimes it, it can be having to deal with someone who's quite escalated and, and feeling unwell. And, um, and sometimes we need to call outside resources to come and help us, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they definitely, they have a very taxing job. Um, what, they, what they're working with and what they're seeing every day is, is really hard. And, and then on the other side, too, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of good as well. You know, I, I know that I every day I work here, there's something good. And, and whether it's just someone greeted you by name because you made a connection or um, you saw a smile on someone today when yesterday they were upset and crying. Um, so even those that we, we look and we have to, we have to look for even those little those little things to, to make us remember, to allow us to remember that there's some good in all the crisis as well. Yeah. I, I want to touch back on that in a little bit, but you, you said something earlier about um, how it is it is client driven when it's when you know they're coming for the thirty days, it's up to them. What why why is that important as opposed to maybe, um, you know, having a program where you have to do this this and this? Why why is is the client driven? Why is that so important? 
It's important because it's it's their choice, right? We we all should get choice in in where we live. Um, we have we have the right to housing, um, but we should get the choice in where we live and how what our lives look like and the journey that they go on. What they should be able to guide their own path, just like I should or anyone. Um, so and it's not we can't force change. People have to be ready for that, and they need to know that when they're ready there's someone here that will help them along those steps. That was very nicely put. Um, is it, is it hard though to like, cause I, I, I would venture to guess that and, and yourself included, you have big hearts when you work here. Is it hard when you see someone struggling to, like you say, you don't want to force change, but it is, is that hard sometimes when you, you just want what's best for a person? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah because you, they, they need to be ready though. And that's the piece, even though sometimes we have to, and we talk about this as a staff all the time, we have to respect their choices, even though it might not be something that we know is, is the best choice or the choice that's going to continue to allow them to go down the path. Um, we also have to make, um, we have to make mistakes. And so allowing that, um, giving people the dignity to make their own mistakes and then make choices from that based off of those mistakes. And, and that's okay. I think that's how we learn. And, and we always say that when they walk into our doors, when, when a resident walks, walks into our doors, she is not expected to change. So it is, it is up to her and when she's ready to do that and if that's even something that, that she wants at this time or maybe in the future. Because success won't, isn't based off of someone else deciding when it's time to make change. It's about when you're ready to, and when you see the results of that. That's when true success starts to happen and true change starts to happen. You're very wise. Um, you, I, I'm wondering too, like... Um, in in the emergency shelter then because i know they're they're here for 30 days but um in in terms of of maybe that change taking a while have, have there are there circumstances where you 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 do see people like on different occasions and and people you begin to see that change over you're nodding your head yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's one of the best <clears throat> moments actually when you see when you see someone come back or let's say their last day didn't didn't go very well um, or they didn't end up with housing and then they come back and you see some change so um, you see that maybe they've been sober for even a few days or a week and 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 they're thinking clear-headed and they're wanting to make those those steps um, but that is that is one of the best and that, and that when I was talking earlier about celebrating those little those little successes that's what it is that's what it looks like when, when someone comes in and and even when they come in and they, they remember your name and they say, thanks, Kim, for helping me last time I was here, that connection that you're that, that referral that you made, I'm working with that person, right? So it's, it's just those, those little pieces. But yeah, that is one of the best parts of the job is seeing those changes and when people return. And because I believe that when they, when they stay here, they take a little piece of something, right? And that's, I think that's what our job is, is to give them that little seed to plant, so that they're when they're ready, they know where to go to get the help. So after after the thirty days, what what happens then, Kim? Well, we try in the thirty days to the staff will do case plans with each client. So and again, when we I say client driven, it's their goals that they identify. So it's maybe I want to get into school, maybe I want to get daycare for my child, want to find a home, um, want to 
find a job. So whatever those goals are, we, we, the staff work with them to try to achieve, to help them achieve that. Um, it's all in, in-house support. Unfortunately, we're not going out into the community with, with our clients, um, which would be great if we could, but that we're limited in that. Um, so, and we're, and we're giving those referrals, um, so that, that at the end of 30 days, they do have something. They at least have what they were hoping to achieve by the time they left here. So, and number one is usually the housing. So just trying to make sure that they secure something. It's really hard in the housing market right now. It's just, there's not a lot available. Um, so it's, it feels like we're trying to perform miracles in, in finding housing, especially for families in 30 days. And sometimes we have to extend them because um, maybe they can get into a place, but they can't get in for another week. So that's okay. We'll do that. We'll do that extension, especially if they do have something confirmed that they can move into. But there's times too that despite all the efforts of um, staff or the resident, there isn't anything to move into. And so sometimes we have to make other arrangements or they have to make other arrangements to stay with family or friends for a little while. And maybe then they return after that. How, how challenging is it right now in terms of, of, of housing? And, and I know it's, it's been in the news a lot and, and we've done a, a few podcast episodes of, about that. And I feel like we've been doing that for a couple of years, but is, have you ever seen it this challenging before? I would say it's only increasing, um, but yes, I feel like we've been we've been working through these challenges for for many years, um, and and it is becoming to well, and with the the increase of pricing and everything, right? So it's just hard for families or, or singles to be able to um, afford afford life and afford the basic needs. So yeah, it's it is very challenging. It's it's one of the harder parts of the job because there's not a lot that we can do about that. Right, so we just have to make those connections and and um, with other housing uh, managers and see what the the best that we can do for our clients. Do you find that um, when when you're talking about the connections that that everyone is kind of at least trying to pull in the same direction in terms of trying to find solutions here in the community? Yeah, I, I think that we have some great community organizations in our community, and I do feel certainly. Um, post COVID now, and even during COVID that, that, um, we are working less in our silos and we're working more together as a community. And I really appreciate that. And and it's, it's quite exciting. And I'm, I'm glad to be part of that. We've, we've grown in our partnerships. Um, and I think that's, you know, only going to benefit our clients and our mutual clients. Um, but you know, we're not there yet. And, um, but we, I do feel like we've got a really great community in Saskatoon and a lot of heart here. People do want to help and they want to do the right thing and they want to, um, even you know provide some flexibility in all of our programs so that we can help each other out and on our long-term floor um, we have three programs we've got our youth program we've got turning points and we have wellness so wellness program the ladies are coming straight from Dubai um, they do stay with us for up to, to up to a year and we have a facilitator that works with them to do some case planning, mm-hmm. turning yep. points. So we have, and, and jam-packed onto one floor is three programs. So we have our youth program where we're housing 16 to 18-year-olds um, youth, and they are in the care of the government, so they do come referred through, through social workers. 
um, and we have two facilitators that work with them to teach life skills, um, help them get into school, help them stay in school, um, go grocery shopping, budgeting, all those kinds of things. Um, and then we have our wellness program. So there are six beds there, and that is for women that are coming from hospital. Um, it is a partnership with the health authority, and they stay for up to a year. And um, again, we have a facilitator there that'll work with them for the, doing the same things, life skills and stabilization with a, with a large uh, focus on stabilization. And then we have our Turning Points program. And um, Turning Points is for women, single women, who are, who are ready for change. So they're not coming because they're necessarily in crisis or homeless, um, but they are coming because they want to make some change in life. And so we see a lot of women who are um, trying to manage their addiction and they've been through treatment and then the road after treatment and trying to work through that and um, get their life back on track. We have some ladies that are volunteering and getting trying to get back into the into the workforce and starting with that. And then we also have some women who are going to school. Wow. The, I, I had no idea that the the turning points was so like there, there's so much depth to it isn't there so how i, I guess um, is it like the emergency shelter in terms of it is that client driven in terms of the goals that they want to work with as well or is it is there more like some set programming around turning point too we do have programming um so and we'll invite speakers from the community and different organizations to come in and work with the ladies um, they are a very close-knit little community up there as well so they support each other they mentor each other um, and they celebrate each other's successes and their birthdays. Um, so we always we always do a, a birthday celebration for for the ladies each month. Um, and uh, what was your other question? Oh, just uh, um, but in terms of in terms of the um, like both client driven. Yeah, but and I was thinking too, like it's it has to take some courage on their part, doesn't it, to realize like I've I I need some help, don't I? Absolutely. Courage is everything. Um, when, and that's, uh, that comes to when they're ready, right? I feel like that's when, when then they feel they can take it on. Um, but yes, it is when they're coming in, they're doing, usually doing an interview with them. Um, our facilitator up there and they're again identifying their goals what do they want to work on in the year or so that they're going to be with us and again so client driven and and that's when you're seeing more long-term goals and and securing that stability yeah um with you mentioned that everyone's sort of crammed in there i i, I take it that um you could use some more space up there would that be <laughs> yes absolutely uh, yes we're always in need of space we um, we have so many calls that are coming in both shelter and long term um, but so many calls that are coming in every day and that we are turning away lots of women um, so last year we turned away over 4,000 women and children and um, and so yeah definitely we try to we try to do as much as we can in, in our current building, but now with our new expansion, we're really excited to be able to continue our programming, but being able to house so many more women and children. Yes, tell me about the expansion. Um, well, it's, it's as you probably noticed when you walked in, it's under construction right now, so we're so excited to see. It's, it feels like it's been such a long time coming. We have certainly talked about it for many years, but to be able to actually see it come to reality now, um, so we're hoping um, by 2024, next winter, that we'll be able to start housing women and their children. And so we're looking at, we'll have 35 suites, um, so about 71 beds. 
and um, and this is where we'll be able to have one and two and three bedroom suites. So right now in our our units, it's just a it's a one bedroom, and they share everything else. Um, but here they'll actually have their own suites, just like uh, an apartment, and so be able to have their children there. And it, it is it is exciting. I still pinch myself. Is this really happening? <laughs> but I see it happening right outside my window, and it's it's exciting. So like. It, the fact that you have to pinch yourself, like I, I think, shows a how much this means to you, but also like what, there must have been points where you thought this wasn't going to happen. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah there, and because there's been a lot of discussion, and um, and it's not just here at the Y, but throughout the community, and there and there has been expansions elsewhere in the community. Other other services have expanded theirs. Um, but it just never seems to be enough. And, and I'm sure there will still be a need even after we expand ours. Um, but it is, it's just so great to be able to see this happening. And, and I think the why is, you know, I'm biased, obviously. Um, but I do believe that we have, we have the ability to, to work with the women. Um, we have what it is, what's required. And I think that, and I do believe that women, when they're coming here, they feel safe here. And so I hope that um, we can continue to build off of that. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on something in terms of the, the camaraderie um, that's up on the, on the top floor with the, with the long-term programs and the fact that women are celebrating their birthdays um, with, it, with one another. Um, how, Kim, how important is that, uh, especially with the longer-term programming, that um, there is that sense of, like, there's a community up there. And just how important is that? It's so important. I think it, it's so important for all of us to feel that that value and to feel that worth, and and to be able to help each other. And, then, and that's and that's the piece. They they work together. They know when when someone's not doing very well, and they kind of are there for each other. And and the staff are, are situated up there as well. And and they do the same for the ladies and for, and for each other. Yeah. Um, you we were talking about this before we we started recording, but. Um, you you have a like you have a lovely story of how you became you know a part of of the YWCA um what when did you first start and and, and how did you um get your foot in the door here well yeah i am a long termer um so, <laughs> so i started here many many years ago so i've been employed with the Y for about 22 years um, but when I first started, I started as a volunteer and even the, the physical structure of the building was different at that time. Departments were situated differently. We had obviously different, different people working here. And, um, so it's been quite lovely actually to see all the change over the years and how the Y has evolved. And, and, and again, I think that's what keeps me here is that it's just been, it's, it's challenging and a really good challenge. It's never boring. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, but I started as a volunteer because I needed to get my social work hours in. So, and um, that was really the or only organization that would allow me to do full-time volunteer work. Um, so, so I threw myself right into that and I got to know the services at the shelter and I just, and I loved it. And um, I did. What did you love about it? I loved the openness. I loved how people were so willing to bring me in even as a volunteer I didn't know anything 
and and they were willing to allow me to have exposure to what happens here and to be able to meet with the women and they gave me that that ability to just kind of run my own schedule and, and get to know what happens here. And then from that, I think that's when the, the creativity started. I remember even as a volunteer, um, I did everything from invoicing to, <laughs> to, to counseling with the ladies, like informal counseling. But, um, but I, I loved that just um, everyone is welcome. And I, and I think that, and that has never died from the why that I, I know that even people that have worked here in the past, um, will say that, and that once you're part of the why you're always part of the why and, and you might not physically be here, but you're here in your heart. Yeah. And then like you're, did you ever think that you would be in your position right now in terms of, of, you know, the, I guess overseeing people and, and, and being part of, you know, obviously you're doing day-to-day -day things, but then working on bigger projects as well. Like was, did you ever think that would happen for you? Absolutely not. <laughs> and actually I resisted it for a long time. Really? Yeah. I love Why did you resist? <laughs> I love the front line and I just, I wanted to, I wanted to stay there. And I remember that because I, after I volunteered, then I was employed here as a crisis counselor and I did the shift work and, um, and I even liked the casual work because you got to pick and choose when you worked. So then, but then I was offered a, a full-time position, took that, and about 12 years ago or so, I moved into management. But when that position came open, we had an opening, and um, and our our, our uh, director had left, and there was an opening, and they said, "Well, like, we don't we don't really have anyone right now, but um, there we expect there's going to be a six-month gap because there, the, our leader was leaving for us for a short time." Um, and so the, she had come to me, my supervisor, and had asked, would you be interested? And I said, no, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to leave the front lines. I want to stay um, working with the ladies. And it's just not ever something I could see myself doing. Um, so she asked me if I would just please do this for at least six months. So I said I would. And, and at that time, we had gone through a little bit of leadership change as well, and the team was really struggling. So I felt that, that maybe this was the right opportunity to kind of step up and, and help out the team and, um, and just do it for the six months. I could, get, I could get through it for six months. And um, I think it was about three months in, and I loved it. And I never knew that I would love it. And um, so then under six months came, and, they, and our, our director wasn't coming back, um, so the posting was open. And I know that the, um, the director of the YWCA at the time was thinking, well, I don't know, like you're very young, I don't know if you can do this. Um, but I went for the interview and I remember prepping for the interview and I had all my, this is what I'm gonna do and this is what I've done in the few months I've been here. And, um, and so they ended up giving it to me. And, and yeah, and I never looked back and, and I love it and I love the challenges that come with it. I love the learning that comes with it. And, and what we do, I just am so passionate about, about the service that we provide and the, and the good. And, and, and I don't do this on my own, and, and I'll be very clear of that. I have an amazing team. I have a really good management team um, that I rely on and, and bin, admin support, and then the crisis counselors. And they are amazing at their job, and they have hearts of gold, and they keep coming back. And we've got some long-term staff, too, that that are with me every step of the way. So that's, yeah, it's very much a team. 
That was an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's clear. Yeah. It's clear how much you love your job. And, um, and, and I love how you said too, that it does take a team cause it's, you can't do this by yourself. And, and especially I would just imagine too, like, especially with maybe on, on harder days, the fact that you, you have a team that can, you can lean on each other. That must be important. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel that that is, that's, our management, the management team that I have, that's exactly how it is. They, um, the, the manager in the shelter, she knows if, if I've got too much on my plate and she knows where to pick up. She's been this, the same length of time that I've been here, so she she can read me like a book, and <laughs> which is good and bad, um, but she, so she'll be able to pick up where, where I need that little extra support. And, and then we also have a leadership team, so all the directors of, of the YWCA, and we meet weekly, and there's lots of support there, and, and um, yeah, lots to, lots to learn from as well. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you've been very generous with your time, and I hope this has been an enjoyable experience for you. Um, but before I go, I, I, I want to ask, um, and I know for privacy reasons you probably can't go into names or anything, but I'm wondering if, there, if, there's, a, if there's a story, if there's a person that um, throughout your time here at the YWCA that maybe stands out to you in terms of someone that really, I don't know, touched your heart or a meaningful connection in some way that you, you might want to share. I, I think as an example of just how powerful the work that you do here is. Um, oh, there's probably many, yeah. um, but I, I'll probably use something more recent um, just because that's something I've been thinking about a lot is um, we did have a lady who had stayed in our long-term residence and um, her stay didn't end successfully. And, um, and she made some mistakes, and so she ended up moving out. And she recently came back um, for a visit to, so our um, Turning Points um, worker does lots of outreach in the community, and she connects with the, with the ladies that she's housed. And so, and she actually asked to come up here, and, and she saw me, and she apologized for how things were um, when she lived long-term with us. And she said, you know, I wasted that opportunity. I should have done better. Um, and, and, but then she proceeded to tell me how she's doing. And she has been dealing with addictions all her life, and she was, is clean and sober and but there's so much in her life that's kind of enmeshed in that lifestyle, but she's been staying strong. Um, and she ended up leaving her place. Um, and a few weeks later, she ended up staying in our shelter. Um, but again, knowing that this is somewhere where she could come, that there was no judgment. And that's what I told her when she came and apologized for her stay. So there's no judgment. I, I barely even remember what happened then. Like, it's okay, right? And, and when you're not in a good good space we all make decisions that we regret later um, so she came and stayed in the shelter for a little bit and I saw her each and every day how like she was coming up against obstacles and different things were happening and different challenges and she was advocating for herself she had her voice and throughout her stay she maintained she continued to maintain her sobriety and she ended up moving into a sober living environment just to help her to continue to stay on track and I just uh, was amazed at the determination and the ability for her, after having a life of addictions, to not resort back to those coping mechanisms, to be able to stay strong. And, and I said to her, like, how, how do you do that every day? 
And she said, it's my faith. I just, I, I hold on to that and that I know I'm stronger than it. I, I know I'm stronger than the addiction. And so, and I also know what it feels like to be clean now and to have a clear head and to be able to think straight. And I love it. So, so yeah, so she said, that's what's, that's what's keeping me strong and keeping me going. And I don't have to go down the path of my addiction when things don't go right. It's okay. I can stay strong, and and that's yeah. And she left, and and I'm just I think about her a lot, and I'm just so proud of her journey and where she's come. And she has a ways to go yet, but she's there. She's determined, and and that's what it takes: the determination and courage. Thank you for sharing that story. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule um, today to, to meet with us. And um, and thank you for the work that you and your colleagues do because, yeah, it's so important. And, um, yeah, I feel very fortunate that I got to meet you. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I feel fortunate to have met the two of you and to be able to do this with you. Thank you. This has been Season 6, Episode 3 of YXC Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. A big thank you to Kim Fisher for taking time out of her very busy schedule to share her passion on the podcast. If you want to learn more about all the amazing programming happening at the YWCA, as well as the Hope Lives Here campaign, please visit ywcasaskatoon.com. You can listen to YXC Underground wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or the website yxeunderground.com. Please feel free to leave a five-star review if you like what you hear and tell a friend about the podcast. A few thank yous before I sign off. A big thank you to my friend Rana Andres for taking such lovely photos of Kim for this episode, which you can see on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Simply search YXC Underground. Thank you to Saskatoon's Danger Dynamite for taking such good care of the website. And a big thank you to everyone who has purchased a new YXE Underground t-shirt, along with the new YXE Underground dog and cat bandanas. Now the shirts are blue and white, three-quarter length baseball style shirts, and they cost $25 each. The bandanas are yellow and black and will be the talk of your neighborhood. They cost $10 each, and all of the money raised from t-shirt and bandana sales go to New Hope Dog Rescue's Animal Safekeeping Program, which we profiled in Season 6, Episode 1 of the podcast. Feel free to reach me through social media or my email, ericandersonyxe at gmail.com, if you would like to buy a shirt or bandana. Thank you again for your support. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that this interview was gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.